Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you after a while. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 7. Um, like Chuck said, if I haven't been able to meet you, I am the RUF pastor at UTEP. Um, and basically, that means that I am your pastor to college students to the campus of UTEP and of community college and uh, and all of that. And yeah, it is a it is a challenge. This year kind of feels like we're rebooting all over, starting from from scratch from like last year. And uh, so you can pray for us. We have a couple Bible studies, and we're going to have a game night this week and do some other things. So, but but we do need your prayer. Um, this morning I was uh, I was getting ready for preaching, and my almost three year old son, he. Uh, he was mimicking me a little bit, I think, and he said, he said, I'm a pastor daddy, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, bringing God's word and the gospel to you this morning is not blah, 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 blah. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 7, and uh, let me pray before we get into God's word. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this cloudy day. With such a hot August, we, we are reminded how refreshing it is to have clouds. In a similar way, Lord, You are our constant refuge from the blaze of life. And so now, this morning, by Your Word, comfort us, be our refuge on this wonderful day of rest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's Word in Psalm 7. I'm going to read it. O Lord my God, in You do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause, Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. And his mischief returns upon his own head. And on his own skull, his violence descends. But I will give thanks to the Lord, the thanks due to His righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. 
This is God's Word. So this week and next week, we're going to be looking at Psalm 7 and Psalm 8. Uh, Psalm 7 here, it is a personal lament. It is a complaint to God. And Psalm 8 next week, we're going to be looking at, which is this corporate hymn of praise. And in our life, we have both of those all the time. Personal complaint, but then we gather together and we get to worship God in corporate praise. Now this psalm, uh, Psalm 7, is called a Shagion of David, which he sang to the Lord. That's kind of the uh, beginning of it. Now we don't exactly know what a Shagion is, but it might be like this wandering psalm, song of lament. From the word shagar, which means to wander. Um, I love different kinds of music. I love classical. Um, and one piece that I really like is uh, The Lark Ascending by Vaughn Williams. I love that piece. And you know how that song goes? It's like the violin plays like the lark. And it descends. And it ascends and goes back down and up and down. And it, you feel the depths of emotions, and you are raised to the heights. In some ways, this is what lament does. It, it, it brings us down to the depth so that we can then feel the, the height of our hope. Or shagion might also be the Hebrew for the Spanish word cumbia. If you know what cumbia is, it's probably my favorite of all kinds of music, actually. Uh, and we sing it all the time. But the thing about cumbia is like, you, you could be singing about the saddest things of all. And yet your body is still dancing, you know, like nunca suficiente para mí, porque siempre quiero más de ti, or llorar, 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 like dancing about crying. And in some ways, both of these are pictures of biblical lament in our lives that you go down to the pits, you keep moving, you feel the depths of sorrow, and you keep going forward. Hoping in God. And this psalm is a song of lament. It is a complaint against all kinds of things. It's a complaint against injustice, against unrighteousness, against wickedness, which is a major theme in the psalms. And you know, 70-some of the psalms are laments. And as you guys have been going through, went through James, you remember in James 4, that verse that says, Be wretched and weep, and mourn, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And here's the thing, we, we all get to this point where we think, yeah, I've been doing that. I've been doing that for the last five months. Like, can we just move on now? I mean, we think about all the problems. We know disease is here to stay. We have economic downturns that are real, businesses that are hurting The polarization is intense. Injustice is more insidious and entrenched than we thought. And the the challenges for doing ministry in this world are so complex. There's always going to be lament in our life. That's what we have to realize. That's why 70 of the Psalms are lament. But for us, our laments, our complaints are always filled with hope to God. And so firstly, in Psalm chapter 7, in this lament, this complaint to God, we are urged to call boldly on the Lord to deliver us from those who pursue us. This is our bold calling on the Lord to deliver us from those who pursue us. He says in verse 1, 
the beginning of verse 1, part B, he says, Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. And then you look down in verse 6, kind of continuing this. This bold calling. He says, Arise, O Lord. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake, wake up for me, God. You have appointed a judgment. You kind of hear that repetition there in that verse. Get up, Lord. Get out of bed, Lord. Wake up for me, O Lord. I'm complaining to you, God. It's a bold complaint. This is a righteous prayer of, of David. He vocalizes for us this passionate desire for God to correct what is wrong. And this is the first point from this psalm. The psalm, it gives us, the psalm, they give us a voice to call upon the Lord, to complain to Him even, to protest to Him, to deliver us from our pursuers. Maybe you, may, you think, you hear these psalms and you say, I could never pray that way to God. I could never complain like that. First, the good news for you and me is that we can complain to God. We can bring our bold laments to Him because we realize that our very best prayers are so mixed up with, with problems and all kinds of sinful, selfish things. We know that. But in Jesus, He takes your selfish, your muddled up, messed up prayers, and He offers it to God, our Father, and He cleans it up, and He answers our complaints as presenting them to the Father as our Father. And so you can come to Him with your complaints. He is, in fact, the Lord our God, our refuge. Our refuge. But also you may say, well, I could never pray to God like that. I would simply say, and that's why we complain to everybody else. See, when we're under pressure, what happens? We vent and we vent. We have to get it off our chest and we have to relieve the stress and we're going to complain and vent to somebody. So the point that I think from the Psalms is that at least we must first always bring our complaint and our lament to the Lord God. Because if we don't lodge our complaints to the Most High, we're going to spread it everywhere else. But this psalm, it directs your and my voice to call upon the Lord to deliver us, to complain, to protest, for Him to deliver us from our pursuers. Arise, O Lord. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. So the question is, who are our pursuers? Who are they? Save me from my pursuers, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. Who's that? You know, in the ancient world, lions were the most powerful of the natural animals. Um, the prophets often say that they described, symbolized wickedness and evil and, and, and all these things. And just like a lion would rip apart a, a person or an animal, you know, um, our unjust pursuers, they rip us apart by our soul. And who is that? Who is that? Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
This is our pursuer. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Who is our pursuer? Who is the one that is pursuing our soul? You think about um, in current like movies and stuff like that, or shows, you think about the ring race in the Lord of the Ring. They pierce Frodo with their, with their daggers, and, or the Dementors from the Harry Potter who suck the soul out of people, or the Mind Flayers from Stranger Things and the Upside Down, and uh, you know, they try to get inside Will Byers, and all, all these things. Like In our contemporary genres of movies and stuff, we, we kind of get this sense, there's a sense that there's like this spiritual battle that is going on. Even the secular world kind of is like, thinks that there's something there. But I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying, we're not saying that the devil is hiding behind every creosote bush out there in the desert. But we know that our truest, our deepest enemy is not visible. Is invisible. We know that the world is against us. Yes, we know that our flesh and our emotions and all these things, they sabotage us. But are you keenly aware of the flaming darts of the evil one who would devour your soul? You see, I think we oftentimes fixate on the wrong person or the wrong groups or the wrong things as the real enemies that are against us. And when we do that, it's actually quite childish. But we can see them. Like, for example, uh, my four-year-old daughter, we teach her Bible verses, and she's learning theological concepts. But the problem is that she uses them all in the wrong ways. And so she uses them primarily on her brother, because that's her enemy. (laughs) And so she says, like, we're working on this all the time. Like she comes to her brother and says, I come to fight you in the name of the Lord and I nail you to the cross. And I'm like, that, that's not how it works. This is not, your brother is not your enemy. <laughs> you see, it's childish for us to merely, primarily focus on our visible opponents who are right there in front of us, like our brother. It's to misappropriate Scripture. I think similarly, we can get so fixated on our visible political opponents, or this group, or that group, as if they were the real enemy that is against us. I think this is especially with all the more of the coming months. But here's the thing. If you turn Biden and the liberals, or Trump and the conservatives into your enemy what we are, our option is left to do is to demonize them. And Pastor Chuck sent me this article from Tim Keller, which means that it's like there's scripture and then there's an article that Tim Keller wrote that Chuck sent me. And this is what he says, Tim Keller. The postmodern view sees all injustice as happening on a human level and so demonizes human beings rather than recognizing the evil forces, the world, the flesh, and the devil at work through all human life, including your own. 
Adherents of postmodernism of this view also end up being utopian. They see themselves as saviors, rather recognizing that there's only one true divine savior who will finally be able to bring justice. When we, when dealing with justice, injustice, we do confront human sin. We do. But in addition, we wrestle not merely with flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. See, Tim Keller and Pastor Chuck is saying that the more we fixate on the human level and demonize others, the more secular we become and that we are prone to dominate others even as the evil one is tearing our soul apart. But the good news for us is that in all of our active wrestling against sin, against misery, against the principalities and powers, we have the most powerful weapon which is Christ's Word and and prayer. And so we ought to boldly pray here. Boldly complain to the Lord for deliverance. And that's what this psalm tells us. We can boldly call upon Him. So the question that we have to ask is, what gives us such boldness to complain about evil? Verse 1, David says, O Lord my God, in You do I take refuge. It's taking refuge in the Lord our God. That's where you find boldness to complain to the Lord. David lives before the face of God. Boldness for us, it comes before living, before the very face of God, living in His presence, taking refuge in Him. And David tells us that to live before God's face is to say in here, the Lord is my judge. The Lord is my judge. This is the theme and the meat of this psalm, of Psalm 7. And it's found in verse 8 and it's found in verse 10 and 11. And Psalm 7 is kind of like is what's called a chiasm. And a chiasm is kind of like, it's like a hamburger or a torta or a gordita or one of those things that you have the bun on the outside and then you have the meat in the middle. And then in this psalm, you have like the little pink in the very center. The meat is David's statement here in verses 8 and then verses 10 and 11. And verse 9 is that juicy little center. But the meat, the theme, is verse 8, 10, and 11. The theme is, the Lord is my judge. That's what gives David boldness here. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord according to my righteousness, and according to the integrity that is within me. In verse 10 and 11, the same idea reiterated. My shield is with God who saves the upright. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. As your judge, as your shield, as your refuge, God feels indignation. He feels indignation every day. He cares about justice. He cares about what's going on with you more than you do. He cares about it more than you do. And He's angry with our pursuers. He's angry with the world system that would destroy your body and soul. He's angry at your dwelling sin that would tear you down. He's angry with the spiritual forces of evil that would drive you to despair. He cares about it more than you do. 
And so we think that we need to call upon Him to wake up to the oppression of our soul. He is more awoke to your oppression of your soul than you are. He's more indignant about your mistreatment than you are. This is what we say when we say, the Lord is my judge. But the question, the follow-up question that we have to ask then is, but what makes us so sure that it is a good thing that the Lord is our judge? How do we know that this is a good thing for us? I mean, you could maybe say like in your business dealings that you, somebody has a complaint against you and you did what was right. Maybe in that general sphere you could say, judge me according to my righteousness, I did right. But when we're talking about our relationship to the Holy God, where is our source of confidence that we can say, the Lord is my judge? Where is that? I mean, do we believe that we can base our boldness on our personal integrity and uprightness? Are we deceived if we think that way? You see, if, if you think that your boldness, my boldness before God is based on our goodness, I can understand why we would not pray to Him boldly. But this is where we must see Jesus in the Psalms. This is where we must understand David's role as the high, uh, as the high point of the Old Testament redemptive history. And this is what uh, O. Palmer and Robertson said about the Psalms. Indeed, each of these psalms contain a message for the individual believer. But to understand these psalms in their fullest significance for you and for me, you must first appreciate their role in speaking of God's anointed servant, the Messianic King. Then a principle regularly at work in the Psalter will become clear in its significance. As it goes with the Messianic King, so it goes with each member of the kingdom. As it goes with the Messianic King, so it goes with every member in the Messianic Kingdom. And so understand that this psalm looks forward ultimately to Jesus, who is David's greater son, the true Messiah. And so Jesus can pray this psalm, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. He can pray that psalm. And as He is judged according to His perfection, in Him, you and me are judged according to Christ's perfection. And that is good news for you and me today. And this is why we can say He is our shield. He is our refuge. And He even shields us and protects us from the curses of our disobedience. And He, on the cross, He calls them down upon Himself. He says, let the enemy of, of my pursuers, my soul, and overtake it, and let him trample me up my life to the ground, and lay my glory in the dust. And we're reminded that Jesus' life was trampled to the ground. His glory was laid in the tomb for our sin. But the Lord, His judge, vindicated Him over sin, death, and the devil. And He got out of the grave and ascended to heaven. And so as it goes for the risen King Jesus, so it goes for you and me who are united to Him by faith. That's why we can say, the Lord judges me. He's the one who judges me according to Christ's righteousness. And so what does this mean? I think one, one of the things that it means to have God as our judge, who judges us according to Christ's righteousness. I mean, think about it. He is the supreme court judge. 
And He judges in our favor. He's the highest court. Are you afraid of being judged by others? Are you afraid of what other people think? The Lord is the judge on your behalf. What can man do to you? Satan hurls charges against you. God justifies you completely. Your sin condemns you. God justifies you completely. Your family condemns you. God justifies you completely. Your opponents condemn you. But God has justified you completely. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, and is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for you and for me right now. Right now. What this means is that we're saying that He's interceding for us right now. Jesus is the one that has the final say in your life. He has the final say in your life. He is the ruler who has the final say. In college, I had a friend who um, was from Nigeria. And um, his dad was from a business uh, in in Joss, which is a big city that is important. And he was a Christian businessman. And he was driving his son to the airport to come to college. And I met this friend of mine on the first Sunday that he had come to America at church. What he didn't know was that on the way back home, his dad was in a car accident and was killed. And they think that there was some shady things about it, that maybe it was some kind of an assassination. But the problem was his father was the primary income earner for the entire family, and so the whole family went into a tailspin, and he's taking classes and his father has passed away, and all of his income source is gone. And yet people are thinking, oh, you're just trying to make money and get all this money. And he went into a massive depression and didn't know how he was going to get by. And he ended up living with me for a summer. And in tears, he would say and sing this Nigerian song that says, Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah has the final say. Where there is no way, he will make a way. Jesus has the final say. And even in great pain, he could persevere, and he persevered through it knowing that Jehovah, Jesus, the Lord is the judge who has the final say over his life. And so it is for you. Even in great pain, You can persevere because the Lord is the judge who has the final say over your life. And so to close, what does this mean by application? In contrast, we see between the the righteous and the wicked further out in the chiasm. You see, the posture of the righteous is that they're established. And we see that the posture of the, unwi- the wicked is that they are destroyed. And the posture of the righteous is one that is self-reflective. We, we can be self-reflective and humble. And you just think about the difference between Saul and, and David in this situation. Saul is self-ref- uh, David is self-reflective. And the Lord establishes him. 
and he's humble. Saul, who's proud and never bending a knee, is ultimately destroyed. But also think about this. The last point for boldness. Two points. is that we, One, we can humbly reflect on our own sin. But second, and last, I close with this. We can rest confidently that God will act with justice. He will do what is right. You see, we can renounce taking justice into our own hands because God is more concerned with right and what is going on in your life than you are. He's more angry over sin against you. He's more angry about the brokenness. And His justice will be perfect and final. And here in the ending it says, the evil makes a pit and he digs it out and he falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. You see, wickedness, it curves in upon itself ultimately. And consider the cross of Jesus. The most unjust wickedness by Satan and men in murdering the only blameless human. But in this wickedness, evil had turned upon itself. Satan dug his own pit and he fell into it when Jesus got up out of that grave. As the psalm the song, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. The battle is not done. Jesus, who dies, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Let's pray. Lord God. Give us the strength to boldly bring our troubles and our sorrows continually to You. Because we know that You hear us for the righteousness of Christ's sake. His own righteousness. May we have hope in our lament knowing that Jesus, You are the risen One. Give us strength for this today. As we rest in you. Amen.